0: You're listening to the International Literature Festival Dublin podcast. From 2018 for the 20th edition of the festival, this is Women and the Essay with Daisy Hildyard, Joanna Walsh, and Ashley Young in conversation with Sinead Gleason at Smock Alley Theatre. Enjoy.
1: Hello there. Uh, You're all very welcome to this evening's event. Um, I'd just like to say thank you to Martin Calthor for programming. This is basically my dream event uh, to chair uh, because I'm I'm kind of fond of the essay uh, and I think a lot of the really good work that's been done in it uh, lately has been done by women. Um, So we're going to talk about various things. We'll have some readings uh, and we'll definitely leave some time for your questions at the end and we'd love to, to hear from you. But let me introduce the writers uh, if you don't know who they are. Um, On the far end we have Daisy Hildyard, who works uh, as an academic in literature and history of science and her first novel Hunters in the Snow won the Somerset Maugham award and a five under 35 honorarium at the US National Book Awards. Her second book which we'll be talking about tonight, the second body is an essay on the Anthropocene and she can tell you what that is when we get to it. Um, Joanna Walsh is sitting here beside me, has spent a lot of time in Dublin, has been published by an Irish publisher, Tram Press, has just moved to Dublin. Um, Is the author of many, many books, seven books, uh, and the digital digital work, you might have seen it online, Seed, it was kind of a a wonderful interactive project. Um, It's also been adapted for performance uh, and was read not that long ago. Yes, Alex McCallie in the the Boy School theatre. Um, her latest book, which we will discuss tonight, uh, "Breakup," was published by Semiotext and Tusker Rock, and her writing has been widely published in a lot of anthologies, journals, including um, Doki Archives' Best European Fiction, Granta, and, of course, Gorse. Uh, uh, Joanna is also editing a collection of essays for Gorse that's going to be forthcoming uh, uh, later this year. She writes criticism for publications including The Guardian, Freeze, and the LAORB and is a contributing editor at 3 N Magazine at uh, the US site Catapult, which are also publishing great work if you're interested in the essay. Um, She founded and runs, this is how we met, I think, uh, the Read Women account on Twitter, um, which does wonderful work in amplifying and championing the work of uh, new women, women of colour, forgotten writers, um, LGBT writers, uh, and generally does a really good job. Uh, So yeah, you should check it out. It was described by the New York Times as a rallying cry for equal treatment for women writers. And finally, the person who's travelled the furthest to be with us uh, is Ashley Young, who grew up in a small town uh, on the North Island of New Zealand. Uh, She started off as the author of a poetry collection, Magnificent Moon, and this essay collection, Can You Tolerate This?, which last year, uh, I don't know if you know this prize, but it's hugely prestigious, the Wyndham Campbell Prize for Nonfiction, which is awarded by Yale. Um, It also won a Royal Society Award for, for General Nonfiction at the New Zealand Book Awards. Uh, she works as a literary editor when she's not writing her own work at Victoria University Press in Wellington, in New Zealand, um, which works predominantly, or she works predominantly, with emerging writers of poetry and non-fiction. So please welcome Daisy, Ashley and Joanna. <laughs> um, Daisy, if I can start with you. Um, yours is, is a, a book and fitzcarraldo Corralto. They're, they're white books, they're non-fiction, they're blue books, they're fiction. Um, it is a book, and yet it's structured. It yeah, it's, it's kind of broken down into similar sort of, shorter sort of sections. So it's a collection of essays, but it is also a book. So what was the thing that drew it all together into a
0: kind of cohesive piece of work? So your good question. I mean, it's, yeah, it's hard to think about when you're thinking about writing something and it doesn't feel very cohesive at all. Then, yeah. um, then it comes back to you kind of in a package. And um, I think what drew it together was... An extremely long period of thinking about um, animals and climate change and trying to write some fiction about them and really struggling to kind of engage with that, um, but feeling it was very urgent. And then... After a while, I suddenly realized perhaps what I needed to write about was writing about this struggle, this difficulty that I think many people experience when thinking about climate change as a, as a real thing um, or thinking about other animals as real living beings. Um, so then I wrote very intensely and intensively about um, my failure to write this other book, um, and then the final bit, the final essay, is a, is a kind of memoir, essentially, of when my house was, was flooded for under five feet of water. And I hadn't planned to write about that at all. The, whole, the rest of the book was complete long, um, long before I wrote that section. And then it was kind of like, I, I knew that I had to write that ending. I didn't really want to write memoir. I wanted to write an, an, a serious essay, but it, it kind of forced, forced me to write it. It was the obvious ending.
1: Uh, before you read a section for us, if anybody doesn't know what the Anthropocene, and I hope I'm saying that right, I know Robert McFarlane, uh, is,
0: his next book is about that too. Um, what is it? So the idea was coined in 2000, I think, by a geologist. It's technically a geological term. But the idea is that um, since the beginning of time, uh, the strata in the earth, different epochs of the earth have had different names, so you might have heard of some of them like the Devonian, the Cambrian, the Silurian and they all last for I don't even know how long, like a really really long time Um, and there's now this contested term that the era we're living in is called the Anthropocene, so the idea of the Anthropocene is that we are causing such um, I won't say destruction, such a particular and definite um, we're having such a particular and definite impact on the earth's surface that in literally hundreds of thousands of years our signature will be available to anybody who reads the strata so there'll be there'll be a stratum which is the human stratum so the anthropocene means the human era or that it literally means the new human but the idea is that we're now living in an age when the earth itself is being created essentially by the human and obviously there are all sorts of problems with that term so that's what i'm talking about okay
1: what, what are you going to read from the book for
0: us? I'm going to read you a story about a fox. Start? Go for it. Okay. The first time I remember knowing that I was seriously different from other animals was one day in June when I was about ten, when I was walking home from the school bus and I noticed something pale sticking out of the hedge. On approach, I could see a tatty furred stick. I lifted it out. Somebody must have put it there. It was high in the hedge and sticking out like a sign. It was old and very dusty. So much fluff and dust were disturbed when I pulled it out of the hedge that I could see particles rising through the sunny air and entering my nose. It smelled strongly of dried meat and something more acidic. It was fully silkily furred at one end, the fur degraded to fluff, then mange in the middle and the end was pure bone. I felt panic. It was my father's birthday. I took the foxtail out of the hedge for him. My father was at home, the door was open, sunlight fell flatly on the carpet. I don't know where my mother or my brother were. My father asked me what was in my hand and I held my arm out away from my side and the old foxtail at a right angle to it. Clenched tight in my fist, it heated and began to release its smell with greater power. It pervaded our small front room. It's for you, I said. He looked at it, but didn't come any nearer. He said that he didn't want it, and he asked me where I'd found it. There was a moment's silence, and then he asked if it came from outside the pub. I knew that to cry would be a serious mistake, and so I was unable to say anything. I knew the place in the pub that he was talking about, on the wall with pieces of brass on leather, where the foxtail had previously been mounted on a piece of wood. My father spoke gently and quietly. Take it back where it came from, he said, and then come back here, and please make sure you wash your hands. I ran all the way back, and I was gulping in salt sobs. I wasn't much of a crier as a child, and I didn't know why this object had raised in me such an extreme response. I couldn't find the place in the hedge when I got there. I walked up and then back, looking for any small gap or broken twig. It seemed important to put it back precisely where it came from, but I couldn't find a sign. The bone must have been stabbed directly into the hedge in a way that avoided making any impression at all on the branches that surrounded it. In form, the bone itself was like a branch. I waved the tail like a sword. More and longer grey hairs that only became red at the tip slipped loose from their attachment to one another or to the bone and waved in the air in in a twisting helix-like motion so that they caught the light. The dust was light enough to escape being pulled down and so it drifted upward. It was drawn in through my open mouth and my nose with my inward breath and I took it automatically into my body. My body rejected it and I sneezed. I found it impossible to breathe. Thank you. (laughs)
1: Um, The the question everybody dreads is the what's your book about when you don't have a really good elevator pitch for it. Um, Did you find with this book, was there a case, because you you are writing about bodies, and as you say, specifically towards the end of the book, it gets more memoirs. But there's a lot there's bod, the body and there's environmentalism in this. so was there something about did one of those things come first, or were they always very umbilically attached
0: from the start of the book? umbilically attached, I think, from the start of the book and and from beyond the start of the book, I think that um women writing their, about their bodies is something that goes back way beyond me thinking about this book um, and i'm my body is not in this book really at all i I was very careful to not describe my physical um, bodily experiences. In a a kind of visual way, um, because I think that that's something that women's essays perhaps have tended to turn around, or women have been uh, asked or invited to um, turn into capital, I guess. There's a book that I studied as an undergraduate that was written in the 18th century that's a a slave narrative, a book written by a slave called uh, Mary Prince. which has always been very important to me. And at the beginning of this book, she, uh, Mary Prince, it's an incredible book, I'd advise anybody who hasn't read it to read it. It's her memoir. Um, so it's kind of an essay um, about her experiences and very much obviously about the experiences of her body that she suffered as a slave. And at the beginning of the book, there's this extraordinary page in which um, a load of men, sort of respectable men, put their signatures to validate that they've seen the scars on her back. So it's kind of like the scars on her back are kind of authorised, authored by these men, and I think that that kind of image has always been in the back of my mind when I've thought about writing about the body, that, you know, that this is kind of something that has been literally kind of traded upon for hundreds of years.
1: Yeah, for yes. sure. Yeah, we'll definitely come back to
0: the idea of what women write
1: about. Um, Joanna, you have written also about bodies now mm-hmm. that I think of it, but yeah. this new book, because again, you've, written, you've published a collection of short stories with Tramp, and you've Um, your kind of more fragmentary work that was earlier, but this new book, you call it um, a novel in
2: essays, Mm -hmm. which is again quite unusual. Um, How did that start? I think it really started with the essays in that I started, I'd written some essays, for instance, I wrote early ones for Granta magazine um, in in quite different forms to how it eventually came together. so really it was just the best description i could what you said the elevator pitch
0: mm.
2: i could find or my publishers could find or my agent could find for what i was doing which was not something i had necessarily put a name to when i write um i've written a lot of other things like short story and performance work and i'm very interested in just making the thing that is there and if anything, unites my work probably, and this is somehow to step back and see myself from the outside, which is weird, it's probably the development of certain kind of voice and certain uses of language and certain kind of examinations of how language is used, which is what I'm interested in. And then how it, how it gets categorised later is, is to some extent a secondary thing, although I am really interested in the essay as a form and I'm really interested in working with it and working against it and working against what it has been.
1: Would you read something yeah for us? sure in fact, do we, I', do I you need to know anything about well break, break
2: up is a series of essays, and it's uh, I was interested when you were talking about bodily experience and bodily bodies as capital because this very much does write about women 's bodies as capital um, and as exhibited on screens um, and uh, i 'm always thinking about kind of value and, 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 and beauty and how we as women experience that, which is not necessarily... I'm not trying to escape it, I'm just trying to kind of look at what it is and how it is to be in that situation. Um, So there's quite a lot of... There there are a couple of chapters about that. There's a thing about... um, I've I've dealt very much with... It comes from personal experience, but I ended up dealing very much with other subjects and other writers, and um, there tends to be kind of one writer who comes predominantly into each chapter. Um, So they are critical essays, and they are also personal essays. Um, but I, 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 th- I just picked this bit because I thought it's about writing, as this. So I thought I'd find a little bit about writing, and it is about writing about love, which is something people have been writing about, you know, forever and ever. And it, in some ways, writing about love has become a very formal thing to do yeah. in itself, not necessarily a physical thing, not necessarily a sensual thing. And so I'm very interested in that kind of artificiality of the love, the love story, the love, the love confession. Yeah. Um, so I'll just read a little bit uh, from the first chapter where I'm talking about you know, how do you approach this, how do you write about love. A love story comes only after the end of love, whether it ends one way or the other, until the story is told, love is a secret, not because it's illicit, but because it's so difficult to tell what it is. Having this nothing to tell becomes indistinguishable from the need to have someone to tell it to, Love stories are a confessional, whispered to a third party, not the lover, because once you agree it's love, something about it is over. It was different online, when we were alone together, ignoring invitations to favourite, like friend, our love letters were outtakes, asides to the fourth wall, because that's what instant message is, an echo chamber for thoughts not said out loud, performed to an audience of one, both lover and confidant. What could be more intimate? What could be closer? A line from you could keep me going for a whole week while I held it secret inside me. They say love is blind, but so are words. A love letter must have a reader as well as a writer, and it must be the right reader. A love letter received unexpectedly reads as the ramblings of a crazy person, but a love letter can only be written when the reader isn't there. Writing is distance. A love letter turns words, the only proof of love, into something solid, a piece of paper, a number of bytes. Is this a love letter I'm writing now? I'm not sure. That depends who I think I'm writing to and why. A love letter is designed to provoke love, but How? If I write about sex, it's a sex act, provocative, but there is no pornography of love, no way to conjure a sound, an image that both represents and seeds the feeling. Could it be all in the words? Ben diagrammed with sex, but not so bodied, love has to be like something, but what? A red, red rose, a butterfly? Metaphor rehydrates feeling, curls it open like Japanese paper flowers in water. What hovers in those words is alive and not alive, like those terrible creatures that unfurl themselves in Chinese lotus flower tea. But too much metaphor, and the story flattens, slips sideways, disperses itself across the words that are its stand-ins until only the insect, the bouquet, remains. Every time I write love down, it has a change of heart. Art and life are very different, yes. Writing makes love artful. I'm not sure how to begin to make art out of love. That's why it's been hard, hard to write these first few paragraphs. So hard, I sometimes had to turn away from the page. So hard, I've run words together, unable to type them so they mean something anyone else could read. Untrained in grammar, but it's more than that. Sometimes there are no sentences what I need to say. Sometimes the object must replace the subject. Sometimes participles dangle, sometimes there are no nouns, sometimes I haven't been able to tell who's speaking, no virtuoso, I'm all non-secretaires, tautologies, or it's not what to write, it's what to leave unwritten, how to narrow life to the width of the page. I could write, I love you, it's a good straightforward sentence, subject, verb, object, but what's the good in that? There is no good in it, so let me not be virtuosic as I am not virtuous. Let me make things difficult. Let me make difficult things. Let me not succeed. If I did, I'd get to the end too quickly and I'd have to stop thinking about you. Let me fail. I have failed in practice. Now let me fail in theory. To talk about love, let me use only the simplest words. Let me state the facts as they occurred. They will evoke the rest. Love letters begin with I, but they aspire to we. Our story was slight enough barely warranting the two-letter word, that double U. But we is seldom a storyteller, and any love story told is evidence of singularity, of separation, of love's failure or success, at any rate, proof that love has moved on elsewhere. To write about love is to feel my way to its ends, to trace its limits, to push against its borders. To write about love is to gather its pieces, to kick them from under chairs and pry them from between floorboards, to sweep them onto a duster or a piece of newspaper, to purse it closed. To write about love is to wrap it up, to put a layer between me and it so I won't trip on it, stub my toe on it, cut myself on it. To write about love is to be sick of the sight of it lying around, to clear it up, throw it out, to put the pieces out of harm's way. To write about love is to shrink it, To conclude it, to end it, to end up alone, all love stories end with the letter I.
1: We're going to end up talking about um, crossover stuff all the time, and like, you call that a novel and essay, so it can be, it can be fictional, it can be novelistic, mm-hmm. and yet it sounds quite like a poem. Um, and whenever I meet writers of fiction who write both novels and short stories, I often ask them, vice versa, what can a novel do that a short story can't, or what can a short st- story do that a novel can't? So what can a novel and essays do structurally that you can't do with anything
2: else? What's it capable of? Um, oppo- as opposed to a novel. Yeah. I think it might be more that I have difficulties with certain aspects of the conventional novel, which has characters in and plot in. And that necessity to divide what you're saying between many characters and to set them in motion um, is something that and I have find. have to talk to each other. Yes, as well. yeah, and I, actually, that's a very good point because mm-hmm. most of my dialogue is internal and reflective, and that's yeah. consistent across my fiction and non-fiction um, But yeah, I just, I just find the kind of. The arc of plot, quite difficult, and most of my stuff, even the fiction that I write, doesn't have the kinds of arcs of plot that, have, that are sometimes expected from mm. novels. Not always, of course, there are many novels that take different forms. Yeah. But certainly the, the character and the dividing up, I mean, I, I, I want to say things directly, I just want to say stuff like, have mm. you thought about this, or have you read this, which is things that are associated with the essay form.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and yet, and yet, there's. So,
1: I mean, I, I think of like Edna O'Brien, who I would consider mm-hmm. one of our more experimental yes, fiction writers. True. And her attitude to plot was, she actually said, and I'm quoting, "Fuck the plot." Mm-hmm. Um, that's what she that thought that about. And, and yet, the novels yes. are often quite straightforward. They're full of characters. They talk to each other. They're often quite linear. They're set in one place. Mm-hmm. But and yet, there's an experimentalism to Edna O'Brien that people so, miss, yeah. I think, sometimes oh, when yeah. they read Country Girls or mm-hmm. stuff from the '60s or whatever. Yes. But um, yeah, well, so we will come back to this. Um, Actually, I think in, in, in the way your book differs to, to Daisy's book and to Joanna's book is that uh, I think of it as more. Obviously, there is definitely overlap and cohesion, but it's much more of a miscellany because you do hop around in terms of the subjects you're talking about—bones or breathing. You're talking mm. about yourself, or you're talking about other people, or you're talking about the, the anti-walking essay, which I really liked. <laughs> um, why did you decide to do it like that? Because I, I I know from talking to other writers, I know myself that publishers are often looking for a theme in a book of essays. They're like, what is it saying? What is it about? And yet there's Leslie Jensen, for example. There is there is the empathy theme in that book, but yet all those essays to me are very distinct and that's what I got from your book. Yeah. So did you think of it like that or did you, did you think, will I be able to get away with just putting whatever I want in here?
3: Uh, yeah, pretty much. I, yeah. I, I'm still not sure if it works as a whole as a whole thing. Um, and partly it's because I wrote it. I wrote the pieces at different times. Yeah. I um. Um, actually i had the, the reason I wrote the, the first draft of the book in the first place was I had this um, this job um, as a writer. Um, I was vastly unqualified for this job. It was at a, um, a publishing company for um, educational materials so so we made little chapter books and um, just kind of and little kind of faux magazines for um, you know seven to ten year olds um, in the states and in Canada, and so I, my job was to um, write about uh, like Amelia Earhart and um, nocturnal animals and <laughs> how a bicycle works. And um, one of my best-selling titles was uh, was it uh, the world's waterways, so like locks <laughs> and rivers and stuff. Um, but and and I loved I loved writing it, but um, the, the but it client, was quite random. Yeah, yeah, it was completely random. But also the client who we were working with was completely brutal. Uh, so things would come back that, that I'd written, that I and I was still at the stage of writing where I felt very precious about, what, w- about my work, and um, they'd come back just vastly changed, so like I would send something off about, you know, some kind of nocturnal monkey, and it would come back about some completely other monkey that I had no <laughs> knowledge of, <laughs> um, or like a character uh, who I decided would be a lonely old man would come back as like a a young girl in a wheelchair, this sort of stuff. Anyway, um, so I just had this craving to write something that kind of was just mine, that that completely belonged to me. So yeah, I wrote this first draft of my book. Um, I I did a course with this really wonderful tutor who made us read really widely in the the personal essay. Um, And it just just felt, it sounds so sentimental, but it just felt like coming home, like I had a place to write in. Um, and suddenly, I just felt this real excitement and urgency about um, kind of just writing from direct experience and from my own preoccupations, um, as if that could be uh, suddenly this yeah. valid and relevant thing. Um, and so, I wrote the the, f- the first um, draft kind of in a, in a bit of a rush, and, and and also when some things were quite raw as well, and not fully. And I, I also made this mistake, I think, of writing about things which hadn't, about my family, which hadn't actually been, or we hadn't talked about them. <laughs> Always good to flag them about right. that stuff. Yeah. yeah, and then I sort of thrust this manuscript and yeah. my brother's nose, look, I've written all about this. Yeah, because um, it's that big red, it's like there's so much of your brother right. in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, and they, my, bro- my brother said, this can never be published, and um, in retrospect, that was great. Yeah, but at the time it was um it was completely heartbreaking. Yeah. <laughs> and so I put it aside um for it was probably about seven years actually that oh I put it. I just decided right that's dead, um and I set about doing other things and which was great actually because I I learned well I don't think I learned anything but I just I explored um the kinds of things I wanted to write about. Like I wrote yeah. a book of poetry and I I started a blog which seems like a really old-fashioned thing to do now. Um, But yeah, it just really helped me to kind of figure out what I wanted to write about. And also, I think there's always that question of persona. um, Like who is the, if if you're writing from the first person, um, like who is the self that's going to kind of uh, get a story out of this massive events? um, Vivian Gornick has that wonderful book. I, the I, I was going to yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. Vivian Gornick. The, the, si- um, the situation, the story yes, is brilliant. Yes, yeah. yeah, where she just talks about you kind of have to go back through the stable of selves that you have yeah. and kind of and discern which one is going to illuminate. She talks
1: this. about the surrogate as well, the surrogate. Yes,
3: yeah, and yeah, I I just yeah I idolise her a little bit in, in how she talks about... um. Having this persona that kind of helps you to see what the story is, yeah, and that kind of lifts it up out of this mess of kind of chaos. Um, Let's come back to yeah. Vivian because I'm because I, I have a couple of quotes I want
1: to read by her because I, th- I think that is the, probably one of the best books you can ever read if you're going oh to write essays, God. and it's very short. Yeah, but um, it's I'll okay, tell you about it in a minute. But it, would you read something? Yeah, which which okay. section? Are, you were saying you were going to read um, on breathing. Or are you going to read
3: something else? Yeah, no, I because um, so this is about
1: you, and it's, this is actually about the body. This, if you're going to read that section. Yeah,
3: yeah, um, yeah. and I. I've, only, I've read this a couple of times out loud, and I always feel incredibly embarrassed when I read it, which I think is probably a good sign that <laughs> it's still kind of like <laughs> alive in some way. Um, uh, so it's so I'm a I'm a cyclist, um, and I for a while I just had this neurosis that I didn't want to be heard puffing uh, noisily <laughs> when I passed people, and just I just felt so seen, um, and I. Yeah, it just, it it felt too revealing to me to be seen kind of struggling when I was just getting, trying to get to work. Um, There's also the thing that Wellington, where I live, um, the city is very small, everyone knows everyone else. And um, yeah, I just, I don't wanna be seen (laughs) in this sort of disheveled state. Anyway, uh, so this is called um, On Breathing. Um, I've decided to begin breathing noisily again when I'm puffed, rather than trying to conceal the breathing. In the past, I must've decided that breathing noisily when puffed was a sign of weakness, and that anyone who noticed the noisy breathing would say to themselves, that woman is unfit. I can't remember how or why I decided this, but it might've been something to do with climbing a mountain while on a school trip, and a boy was lagging up the mountain behind everyone else, breathing noisily, and the person beside me muttered, John is unfit. As we turned to watch, John crept very slowly towards us, crab-like with his huge pack, and his eyes were lowered as he breathed noisily. For years now, I've tried to quiet my breathing when puffed by letting the breath out thinly, like a slow leak from a puncture, or even pretending that it was a sigh, as if I'd just remembered some important task. So whenever I was riding my bike up one of the many hills that I ride up each day, I tried not to move my mouth too much, because this would betray my noisy breathing. And I also tried to maintain an unflustered, slightly bored expression, as if I were making so little effort that I could mentally absent myself from the scene. I didn't want to attract the attention of any of the people walking up and down alongside the road, especially not anyone who would recognise me and who might say to themselves, Ashley Young is unfit. <laughs> one of my bigger fears, and one that I thought about every day, was that an old boyfriend of mine, who I know goes to the university, would be passing in a bus and would look out the window and see me there at the roadside, breathing noisily. <laughs> She's got unfit, he would think to himself, and I suppose this might still happen. I am slightly puffed, After walking the three flights of steps from my flat to the street with my bike over my shoulder, I'm averagely puffed when I begin the climb towards the university. I'm very puffed when I get to the top of the terrace, and I'm extremely puffed by the time I'm creeping through the roundabout at the top of the parade beside the university. I use my last bit of energy to throw my arm sideways to signal the turn. When I'm locking up my bike, I am so puffed that it feels like my lungs have turned into a pair of excited dogs, and they're jumping up and down, trying to feed on the air, My lungs pour and salivate at the air, tearing bits out of it, like stuffing, and by now I am defeated. Anyone who walks down the path behind me will see a woman untangling a bike lock, while breathing, not just noisily but extravagantly, on a breathing spree, and the thought will probably come to them even just for a second before it is swept up by a stream of other thoughts, that woman is unfit. (laughs) Sometimes I've been stuck behind slower-moving male cyclists who I could tell were breathing noisily, but I still have not been moved to allow myself to do the same. Once I had a slow crash when a woman in a parked car opened her door into my path, but even that didn't remind me that there were more important things to worry about than breathing noisily. Last week, a couple of teenage boys shouted abuse at me when I was just at the steepest, most difficult part of the hill, and I didn't have enough air in my lungs to shout abuse back, but even that didn't make me think I should let myself breathe noisily as required. Today, Nothing in particular happened to make me decide to breathe noisily again when I'm puffed. So, just as I'm not sure why I decided that I had to breathe quietly, I'm now not sure why I've decided that I don't have to. I pushed my bike through the gate, and my cat, Jerry, immediately came running out from under a tree, screeching. He screeched loudly and continuously as he ran down the steps, just in front of my feet. I leaned my bike against the fence and put its special bicycle raincoat on, which is always more difficult than I think it will be, like putting a pair of pants on a car. Then I came inside and lay down on the floor and breathed noisily until I was no longer puffed. All this time, Jerry was prancing around me, screeching for food, and maybe, I hope because he was glad to see me, maybe it just felt like enough time had passed and that I could breathe now. Cool, oh, that's it. Thank you. Thank um, you.
1: You all know I'm going to ask you this question and it, it, it's something, some people are excited by it and some were not, but it's one that's always asked and I've been asked and you kind of go, oh God. Um, the word essay, which comes from the French, which is to try, which is, you know, you're, you're attempting something with an essay, but do you, is it possible to define the essay? And if so, do you have a definition of what an essay is?
3: Um, <laughs> I, I, a few years ago, I um, was teaching a, uh, creative non-fiction writing class. Again, I was I was vastly unqualified to do this, but I always got really excited when it came to the essay, and I would write this, like, five-page sort of um, discursive piece on what the essay was and and what it could be, and it would just be full of kind of ridiculous lines that I'd culled from various explanations, like um, the essay is a mind fondling itself or, like, um, <laughs> or... Uh, you know, the essayist is an ambassador from the city of learning, and just, yeah, just kind of nonsense, Um, but I felt really proud of this, like, long lecture that I had prepared, and then the students would go away, um, it was a small class, it was, like, 12 students, and they would go away, and they'd come back with essays about, like, um, broccoli, and um, (laughs) whales, and, like, a fear of death, um, and just everything that I'd come up with suddenly seemed completely irrelevant, and nonsensical and it just felt like all the essay was was it had just given them permission to say something um, about some encounter with the world or mm. so, or bearing witness to something um, but yeah one, one thing that I really love about the essay that I'm not sure maybe poetry has this in common but um, how it uh, I think can turn um, the writer's kind of problem with the form into the subject, if that makes sense, like things that would be an obstacle in other forms like like shame or just confusion and o- overwhelming can kind of be put into the essay and can become it in a way. Um, I was reading this thing by Leslie Jameson where she had this fantastic analogy um, where she said it's kind of like, um, so when Guns N' Roses were recording the demo oh for yeah. um, Sweet Child of Mine, they got to this bit where Axel Rose was like, where do we go now? And because he didn't have any lyrics, yeah, and then yeah. that became the song, yeah. and it has become this wildly famous part of. Yeah, that I song. think she
1: said the pro- the problem with the essay can be, can be yeah, the problem. It becomes the subject. Yeah yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, and I kind of love that because I think all of all yeah. of my favourite writers do that, yeah. um, and I also find it really comforting as a writer. Um, and I don't I don't want to always do it to yeah. to reference my confusion because I think that can become very yeah. annoying, um, but. Yeah, sometimes it's an interesting place to yeah. go. Like Daisy, yeah. what about you?
0: Yeah, well, I think I love what you say about like the problem becoming the its own solution. Because I, I suppose like when you asked that, and I thought, well, what is an essay? And I thought it's quite a kind of extreme form in a way um, because. On the one hand, you have this meaning of it as literally a trial and experiment. I mean, a trial in the sense of an experiment, not a trial as in arduous. But in the other sense, there is what you could actually, you know, have the other sense of the trial. Like, we all had to do essays at school, right? And nobody much looked forward towards doing them. So someone says, sit down and write me an essay. It's like, oh, God, please. And then, so I suppose you have these kind of two ends of, you know, something that's like completely freeform and then the thing that's the most kind of set out. Before you, before you even begin. You've got a topic, you've got a form, you've got, you know, you're supposed to write your footnotes and everything. Um, and the essay is kind of in this gap between the two of them. And I think that kind of, there's something sort of exciting and a bit delicious about the fact that you can kind of go in there and you can go at either extreme. You've got, everybody has experience of writing an essay who went to school. Um, but you're kind of like, you feel like it's both boring and completely, that, you know, there's no, there's nothing set.
3: Yeah. Mm.
1: Joanna, there's something about it, I mean, it, it's in a, it's like asking a question, it's an interrogation in some ways. Yeah. What do you think?
2: I guess, um, I mean, I was just thinking about reacting to the word essay, and yeah, I, I was thinking, firstly, when you say, are you writing essays, I'd be very reluctant to categorise what I'm doing yeah. as essays, because. but on the other hand, I kind of like working against form or at yeah. the limits of form in most of the things that I do. Um, And not only that, in persuading other people to, you mentioned the Gorse anthology. Um, I was really interested, I've I've commissioned, I can't remember, I think it's about 12 essays for Gorse, a journal who've just started publishing books, which is is wonderful. and so what I, what I what I'd thought, I, w- I wanted writers to write on influence, and it didn't have to be literary influence, but it had to be textual influence, so it had to be an influence of words, it could be lyrics, it could be um, recipes, someone wrote in recipes, someone wrote on PowerPoint, something that had been a huge textual influence on their writing and in their lives, and about how they how they engage with language. And I, I asked them to write, to write something, I mean, I guess we have to call it an essay, it could be any length, it could have any style, some of them read more like stories than than essays. I was really interested in asking writers who were not essay proficient... Um, And some of them found that quite painful, Um, but I only realised that as I was going along, that I was finding that that what I really wanted to do was torture poets and fiction (laughs) writers into producing these pieces of work for me, which were not strictly dryly essayistic, but were very engaged stylistically, personally, autobiographically, whatever, they were crossing boundaries all the time between them and whatever. Influence they were writing yeah. about because um, I, I I I always found myself that influence is not a kind of dry thing it's not a to write a critical essay you know mm-hmm. how can you sit down and write a critical essay as a writer about another writer if if yeah. they're a very close influence on you mm. um, I I wanted to see engagement that took things beyond the you know that that was that where well, that was aesthetic in in that it courted failure it courted shame mm. it courted difficulty. Um, in 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 exper- difficulty of expression, really, and difficulty yeah. of kind of engagement with form. So, but I'm very excited by all the essays I got back. Well, this is it. I mean, I think we're we're into. I mean,
1: when you think people think about the essay, this is a school comparison. There's the idea of the very serious, you know, whether that was William Hazlitt or whether it was Hubert Butler in Hazlitt's Ireland. Hazlitt's funny though. They, you know, like it is funny, yeah, a lot of great yeah, kind of yeah. psychogeography stuff about yeah. walking as well. It's really good yeah. and nature. Um, so there was a kind of very strict. Defining of, of what it was. And yet, I think in, in the last few years, I'm and, and going back, I mean, and, and then people talk about Sontag and Didion and all these people, mm-hmm. but in the last few years, we've had much more hybridity. So you have yes. things like people are using words like you know, auto-fiction about uh, Chris Krause or auto-theory about, Maggie Nelson uses that word herself Mm -hmm. about her own work, Um, or work that is not necessarily one thing. So is it all, I mean, uh, whether you're working in fiction or Mm auto-theory or poetry, it is all just storytelling. And should we stop obsessing about the labels and what we call things and just Mm -hmm. look at the actual textual pieces in front of us and just go, that's just a thing. Mm.
3: I'm I'm in favour of it. (laughs) I'm just less and less interested in, um, in calling things Labels. I don't know. I, yeah. yeah, I was reading this really great interview with um, Mary Ruffel a wee while ago, and she <laughs> she was just so dismissive. Wait, the uh, uh, Mary Roofell. Oh, yes. Um, uh, yeah, she, she's amazing. But she um, she she just couldn't care less about yeah. what people called her her work. Did um, she write about guts and the body? Is that like I'm thinking of. Uh, you might be thinking of Mary. Um, the science writer. She uh, writes about elementary like, yeah, canals like, and stuff. Gareth. Yeah, yeah, um, can't name. yeah, Yeah, she's the science writer. Um, yeah. I can't think of her surname right I, I um, now. Mary Ruth is a uh, poet, and I guess you'd call her an essayist. But mm. I mean, I mean, she, yeah, she's just yeah. Uh, said that it, 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 it d- really doesn't matter to her. Um, and I think sh- she's sort of alluded to um, a similar. Just just kind of carelessness about not, I mean that, yeah, that's probably the wrong way of describing it, but um, just about being seen as a woman writer um yeah. versus just a writer that um she sort of she she said like maybe when we're m- when we're in the afterlife, um the body won't matter anymore, so that's kind of what we have to look yeah. for too, like um I don't know um. Yeah,
1: I'm sorry.
3: Well, wandered I, off track.
1: <laughs> in terms of, this is a question for, for all three of you, in terms of like the essay, it is very interesting to kind of get that balance, I say, and particularly I see it in, in, in your work, Daisy, where it is, you're writing about a lot of stuff, there is an element of memoir, you're you're, do- you're all doing it in all of your work, but so do we all kind of tend to write close to our experience? Like I'm thinking of hotel, in your mm-hmm. case, where you wrote about reviewing hotels uh, uh, and uh, the decline of a marriage. Mm-hmm. You are a scientist, so obviously there's a you know, scientific background, so there's a lot of science in your work and a then study as scientists. Yeah. I
0: don't study yeah. myself. yeah
1: um, it's kind of and then you were I mean you're writing about New Zealand and you're writing about your family and a lot of things that are in close proximate whether it's geography or, or people you know um, and is there a conflict if we move too far away from the things that we know if you decide right, I'm going to write only I'm going to write a book of essays about coal mining because that's really far from where I am as opposed to the things that are approximate to my own life is it a good thing is it a bad thing can it, that conflict be good I guess
0: There's something really lovely about the essay form, which I think both of you have touched on, that is about the way it doesn't have any architecture of kind of plot or setting or personality. You don't have kind of, you know, Mrs. Wolfe sat down with her graying hair at her desk in Richmond. You know, you just have. So I was thinking about this stuff and I started thinking. You can go right in. Yeah. And there's a very beautiful, I think, essay by um, Borges um, that's very important to me about death Um, and he says that he doesn't really mind dying because he's not particularly attached to his body and he's not particularly attached to his memories but the thing that he would like to survive is um, that the experience of loving something that he loves and if somebody in the near or distant future loves something that he loves or has a thought that he used to think or has an experience that he used to experience then he is alive in that thought or experience, and it seems to me that the essay can break down boundaries in that way, mm-hmm. it's just kind of a voice talking to you in the dark, mm-hmm. and the thoughts or experiences that they have are, are your thoughts or experiences when you, when you read their essay, and I think that in that respect it kind of, it doesn't matter so much who you are or where you're speaking from, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and that's something that I think is very precious about the essay, I guess.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I am very into representing experience
2: and being very specific about experience and being specific about where we're from and mm-hmm. where we are. Um, you know, what, what voice we're speaking with and analysing how we speak with that voice. So, mm-hmm. I, I don't. I, d- I mean, it's nice to think of the idea of the essay crossing boundaries in that way, but it can only do it, I think, if it if it acknowledges the position from which it speaks and examines it. But that's what so many essays, essays are doing in the first place.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, did you want to? Oh no! It was just um, I was thinking. I, I had this weird experience when I was writing, um, of realizing that all of um, all of the stories I'd heard about my family when growing up were just all from my my dad and his friends and, and my brothers. So it was. It took quite a. It, it was quite a s- strange experience trying to find uh, where my voice fitted into that, and it felt like quite a radical act, um, uh, which is maybe overstating it a little bit. But. Um, mm yeah and I, I think there's something about that you say that lets you figure out how you sound. Um, it seems like the perfect vehicle to to start to do that um, or kind of kind of curate um, uh, all of the thoughts that you have about a time and a place mm. um, but yeah it's it's also a really awkward thing trying to s- insert your own voice into um, yeah. the stories and accounts that you've heard um, all of your you know your older family recount to you over the years. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm quite chuffed that I did it.
1: <laughs> I think also when you write something, uh, and I think also when you write something, especially if it's published and it's out in the world, it doesn't belong to you anymore. Mm. And I know that I've written stuff where I think it's about one thing and then people tell me, oh, no, it's about mm. something else. And you you don't see that. <laughs> and, and sometimes you also try to write about something and your brain starts dragging you off this way and going, oh, this is a much easier, or more difficult or more interesting path mm. to go down. And that's what I, I, I think it's... Um, in the way that the short story can be both elastic and quite constricting, I think the essay can be those things that, to the power of a million. Mm. You can literally do what you want it maybe. Mm. I don't know. Also, um, in
3: fiction, I, I tried to write stories for years and years, and I think b- because all of my teachers said um, that I was good at it and I wanted to please them. Um, uh, but I, I realised I couldn't figure out how to move people around, like yeah. just how to get them... Like across mm-hmm. a room you don't and out do. of a door? You can just write one with <laughs> and the other yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's done. Yeah. Like they need a smoking gun as move well. Them. So they just yeah. sort of glided around Love on them before you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's I such a relief can. not to have to, yeah. have to <laughs> like move them around. Um,
1: the, the title of this event was, is called Women on the Essay, uh, and I wondered, um, I mean, lots of people have been drawn to it, lots of women have as well, but. Is there something about... And, Ashley, on the cover of your book, it does say personal essays, and you've wor- used the word about sure. it as well. And I use autofiction as well as yeah. description. Yeah, and I, and like I think that. that sometimes there can be... Do you think, in nice sense, that there's a diminishment of the personal when it's used about women? I find that the word confessional writing is mm-hmm. often only applied to work by women. Um, also, there was... Uh, Gia Tolentino wrote a, a quite famous piece in The New Yorker a couple of years ago saying the personal essay boom is over, mm-hmm. so it was a really bad thing, and specifically mm-hmm. mentioned a, a lot of women. So mm-hmm. is it kind of a an awkward and strange thing to be doing, I have to say, it's, a, it's the kind of work I do like to read, and yet yeah. it's often kind of, it's not as serious, it's not you know, he, he died today, Philip Roth essays, it's not, you know, it's not the, it doesn't have the same, not necessarily seriousness, but there's a, a slight looking down the nose at it a little well, bit. What I have
2: been yeah. asked to do, interestingly uh, quite often by editors who've rejected my work and by critics who don't like it, <laughs> is they're like, what's all this thinking for? Let's just have some experience. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, 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 I absolutely refuse to not have this tension between the fact that what I write is it's very emotional, it's very personal, it's very sensual, very bodily, mm. but at the same time, it's I am all the time, I'm making references to other writers, I'm saying these thoughts, I didn't have them myself, they didn't come to me like inspiration from nothing they're not something to do with me just walking down the street I, I have these thoughts because i'm part of a culture and um you know whatever relationship i have to that culture however uncomfortable it is i am going to talk about it um so yeah my my what i have found is that I ca- quite often i have been told that my bodily experience is welcome my confessional experience is welcome but me standing back and thinking about that is not
0: interesting Mm. What do you think? I think think when it comes down to it, personally, I don't believe that there is, at a kind of molecular level, a a difference between fiction and the essay. Mm. And so these kinds of distinctions are convenient rather than, or pragmatic, I guess, rather than... And so... In order to kind of, I don't know, it, it seems to me that it comes more from the rea- my perspective as a reader than as a writer, but as I said, I mean, like Joanna, I kind of f- certainly had a hesitation as a writer towards writing m- about the confessional the, um, in, a, in a non-fictional context where it's kind of up because... The awareness of the way in which it will be read when yeah. it's kind of put mm. in that section of the bookshop. Um, so, yeah, it seems to me to be a question about reading rather than writing.
1: Yeah. Mm. Ashley, did you did you have any moment where you kind of, I don't want to call this, did somebody ask you to put that subtitle on? Did you oh. want it on there or did you kind of go, I don't want the word confessional anywhere near <laughs> my book? Thanks.
3: I, I just felt like it would be a useful kind of, like, just a little nudge to the reader. that. These aren't trying to be academic or, um, you know, rigorously intellectual essays. They're they're pieces about um, personal experience. Yeah. But um, yeah, I kind of I struggle with it because I I really love those. Um, you you talked about the, the Gia Tol- Tolentino yeah. piece where um she's talking about the personal essay boom. And it had come after
1: the piece, the one that you would we we have talked about this before that um. Uh, first-person industrial complex. Yeah, which is such yeah. a great phrase, yeah.
3: first-person industrial complex. Because um, I, I kind of, I really love those um, obviously quite quickly written first-person accounts. Um, there's a piece no references, which I immediately had to go and read. It was something like, um, "My gynaecologist found a ball of cat hair in my <laughs> <kind of laughs> I, like, I my also God. searched for that and read it. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But pieces like that, and I just, I'm hungry for them um, in yeah. the same way that I love reading advice columns because I just, I want to know what is happening in people's lives mm-hmm. and how they solve problems, like even the most trivial problems, like, you know, my co-worker smells or like um, how do I stop them heating up fish in the work microwave <laughs> like things like that that I just I am endlessly hungry for them mm. but um, uh, yeah I, I feel very um, cautious about it in mm. my own work and one of the pieces I really really struggled to write and in my book was um, uh, about an eating disorder that I had and um, and because you know uh, account first-person accounts of, of eating disorders are just um, everywhere. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's, um, you know, that can be wonderfully useful and, and productive to just be able to talk about it. But I kind of, I really was resisting the idea that, uh, the, the narrative that um, things could be neatly solved and you would triumph over this thing yeah. at the end, which a lot of the pieces I read were about, yeah. um, that there had to be some kind of figuring out and and sailing forth, and mine wasn't that at all, um, so yeah, and I also, um, I think it's a little bit like what you were saying, Daisy, about just being really reluctant to describe your body, um, and yeah, it just, it felt like, um, is, I'm not sure if describing myself was in the service of the essay. Um, mm. yeah, so, and I'm still not, I'm not sure that it's exactly as I want it to be, but maybe that's, you know, maybe that's. Inevitable. D- d- the such book? A w- yeah, oh, no, that essay in particular. Yeah.
1: Um well, Maggie O'Farrell Maggie said that last night, she said even as I'm reading here, no, and am looking completely. at that going, oh, I wish I'd taken that adjuvant, oh, that's all wrong. Yeah, yeah. A, a the book's piece, never finished. The piece I read earlier, I scribbled out a whole paragraph. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> that's allowed. Um, before we open it out to the audience, I, d- I was going to ask about, because I think if anybody in the stream is interested in the, the essay, you really, really should read Vivian Gornick. Um, the book is called The Situation and the Story, mm. The Art of Personal Narrative. It's very short. I I never deface or or damage my books in any way. I've basically uh, underlined the whole thing. Uh, it's so useful. It's so good. She talks about loads of the writers. There's a great essay. A great. She talks about Joan Didion's bed, which is about migraines, and then it's about about what a contradictory piece of work it is because you think yeah. it's about one thing and then a completely. 180s and takes you off in a different direction. But she says, um, she talks about this I. So if you do write essays or you write from a first person and you use the word I, um, she t- talks of it as a persona. It's a different version of yourself. And she says, um, out of the raw material of a writer's own undisguised being, a narrator is fashioned. This narrator becomes a persona. The creation of such a persona is vital in essay or memoir. So how do you feel about the I in your work? Is it Superfluous? So you ignore it, or is it very central and the building blocks of everything that you're talking about?
2: Um, I'm really interested in um, the poetic eye. This idea that um, poets have long been read as if the person narrating the poem, the the, the eye if it's first person, mm. is the poet themselves, and yet they're not held to the same standards as essayists, yeah. um, in that they they're not asked to prove beyond reasonable doubt that on Tuesday they really did yeah. this and on Wednesday they did this. Sure. But, you know, this this kind of the location of the sentiment and of the the action within a poem can be um, allow. it seems to be allowed to be looser. And perhaps the notion of how I relates to any particular self is as well. So I'm really interested in that. I'm really interested in poets who write prose. Um, I think an increasing number of poets are writing lyric essay, yeah. you know, as, as far as I know, in a way. Um, I'm particularly interested in, you know... Th- th- uh, I'm reading at the moment. Um, there's a wonderful American poet called Anne Boyer, whose first book garments against, against, women. against women was, for yeah, just given a, a new one. Yeah, she's just a new and it's called The Handbook of Disappointed Fate. Yeah, she's so good. And again, it's it's they're 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 more essayistic, in fact. Yeah,
1: they're more, you Hannah Solomon's new book for is going like that as yeah. well. it's
2: quite long, and
1: uh, there's, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of work. Yeah. Amy, even Amy Keys' work is. Yeah, like oh yes, I love I love Amy Keys' work. Yeah,
2: she's great. But I think for me the what the the eye is something that's focused through language, and language is borrowed. We all have, we all bring our own meanings to language. So when I write a sentence, you will have a slightly different take on on you know. If I write the word dog, I I have a dog. She's small. You know, she's like about that big. But you know, you might have encountered a dog that's like a Saint Bernard. That might be the dog when that comes into your mind when you say the word dog. Mm. So we all bring this kind of stuff to language um, and to emotional concepts and to 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 um, intellectual concepts too. So. I think of the self in essays or in, you know, in any, in any writing really as a kind of locus of meaning that's developed between the writer and the reader. Um, obviously, the, the writer is the person putting it, yeah. putting it in there, but, as you said, is never quite sure of what yeah. interpretations are going to come out of that. Um, so, yeah, there, there's a, I, I find that this I is constructed through language, it's constructed through choice of words, but then again, even as you choose the words, you, you don't have a final control over that True. in any way. True. Um,
0: yeah, Daisy. I just think it's so exciting because I I feel like I mean this question is really exciting to me um, because of what's happening to the eye at the moment. I mm-hmm. feel like the the single eye is is kind of not really. It's just exploding. It's it's really not tenable anymore in so many ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I love what you say about the way a text is kind of funnel for different languages, different people's kind of sense of those words. Also, I guess every eye now is might be a range of genders and. Every eye now is also like a colony of microbes and exchanging carbon mm-hmm. atoms at a molecular level. And you know. And I find that all, you know, this kind of long history of, of eyes um, coming down to now um, is a very exciting kind of moment for the yeah, essay, for I sure. guess, because what kinds of essays are going to be written in these? I mean, mm-hmm. I think there's a... Um, I know of a couple of books coming out soon, and I can't remember the authors, but they're um, written in, in, you know... Um, second person plural, but kind of, you know, you, rather rude. than I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to answer that. Mm.
3: Ashley? Um, yeah, I, I think, um, uh, I, I guess the easiest way to, for me to think about it is how um, when I'm writing a poem, um, it feels like a more private language to me somehow, even though, you know, I'm, I'm usually writing as I, and I, I'm kind of, I think um, it's fairly obvious that I am writing as myself in a poem, but it also is kind of... It's just a more private language. It's kind of like I'm muttering to myself. Yeah, um, yeah, Whereas in an essay, it feels more public somehow. It does, yeah. Yeah, and maybe that's just a prose thing. You know, you're... Yeah. Yeah, you're you're writing in uh, a language that you're hoping will reach people. And, um, yeah, for me, uh, an essay always feels like another chance to try to explain myself, where often, you know, in person, I will... Just flounder and um, say something all wrong, um, but then on on paper uh, I can kind of have another stab at it, and which feels like a really exciting yeah. relief <laughs> to me that, that I can have another go at making myself clear. Yeah, um,
1: yeah that's just the way okay. I seem to. Think. Thank you so much to thank Daisy Hildyard, to Ashley Young, and to Joanna.
0: International Literature Festival Dublin is a Dublin City Council initiative, kindly supported by the Arts Council. For all the latest festival
3: news and to sign up to our newsletter, visit www.ilfdublin.com.